0: Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis.
1: This week on Indy Matters, I call up our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, to get a recap on everything that's gone on this week in our nation's capital in regards to the coronavirus outbreak.
0: And after that, I talk to intern Shannon Miller about a new bill working its way through Congress that could shed new light on the true number of missing and murdered indigenous women.
1: And at the end of the episode, to lighten things up a bit, a few of our reporters give us their reaction to the Bachelor finale. This segment was not supported by myself or the editors, but alas, we were outvoted by the reporters, and that includes you, Jacob.
0: (laughs) That it does. But before any of that, we still have our normal newsreads from this week that we read for our partners at KUNR Public Radio. But we also want to give you a quick update on what's going on with the coronavirus in Nevada.
1: As of Thursday evening, the number of coronavirus cases rose to 11. Eight in Clark County, two in Washoe, and one in Carson City.
0: As a result, Governor Steve Sisolak declared a state of emergency last night, a move that will allow the state to galvanize additional resources he says will help contain the spread of the virus. But Sisolak
1: also criticized federal officials, who he said have been slow to provide updates or information and have yet to provide thousands of test kits the state has asked for.
0: For our complete coverage of the coronavirus, including two live blogs covering all the most recent developments on both the healthcare and economic fronts, head to the nevadaindependent.com.
1: And now some news reads from our partners over at KUNR Public Radio. Originally reported by Kristen Leonard, officials with the state's largest tourism board say Las Vegas has already seen a drop in revenue as a result of coronavirus concerns, but the authority is prepared to mitigate any effects. The Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, which runs the Las Vegas Convention Center, says some large events have been canceled out of fear the virus will spread. Authority CEO Steve Hill says the organization has doubled and tripled cleaning efforts. However, Hill expressed confidence that such a drop would not be too damaging, saying LVCVA has the resources to abate such losses. Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman, a member of the authority's board of directors, seemed nonchalant about the threat of the virus, encouraging people to go about business as usual when it comes to travel. Goodman instead blamed the media for creating fear in the public. Originally reported by Riley Snyder, a statewide database tracking high-interest short-term payday lending may soon start providing insight on how such loans are issued. Nevada's Financial Institutions Division, a state regulatory board charged with overseeing so-called payday and other high-interest lenders, published draft regulations last month that fleshed out details of the database and what kind of information it can collect. In addition to the data, the information will for the first time provide a full assessment on the scope of the industry in Nevada. A spokeswoman for the Department of Business and Industry said the agency planned to hold a public workshop of the regulations sometime later in March, before the regulations are sent to the Legislative Commission for final approval. The regulations are the result of a bill passed in the 2019 legislature. It was staunchly opposed by the payday lending industry, which said that it was being unfairly targeted and that the measure could lead to more underground and non-regulated short-term loans. For KUNR, I'm Joey Lovato with the Nevada Independent. All right, so I am here with our man in DC, Humberto Sanchez. Humberto, how's it going? Good, good, good. It's been um, it's been a heck of a week. A lot's been going on. Basically, every sport that I can think of has canceled. You know, the foreseeable future for the foreseeable future.
2: That's yeah, yeah, and and that's really coming home to the capital now. Because earlier in the week, they were they there was discussion about trying to do something about the the coronavirus. After last week, they passed. $8 billion uh, package to speed up testing, to do all this health and safety measures to, to uh, try to contain it. But now we're, we're looking at, uh, they're trying to do something on the economic impacts.
1: Yeah, and, and what is the capital thinking there, you know, with the economic impacts?
2: Well, the latest right now is that the House Democrats have unveiled a package that they um, have cobbled together that includes emergency sick leave, enhanced unemployment benefits... Free coronavirus testing and and also uh, enhanced food aid for people affected by the outbreak, but that was rejected. So they came out with that late last night. That was rejected by the the Senate Republicans, which which control the agenda in the Senate. And so now they're negotiating with the White House. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has been talking to Speaker Nancy Pelosi about this pretty much since since all day. I, I would say and we're going to see if they can come to a deal that the, she wants to vote on something tonight the the house and senate are, are scheduled to go on a recess a week-long recess basically tonight and uh, that's kind of been put on hold so the senate has basically has said that they they plan to be here next week we'll see whether they they stick to that and that depends on what the house does if there's a deal that's reached that can pass the house and then also pass the senate with senate republican support that that they may still go on recess but the upshot is they don't want to leave without have without doing something that's in order to kind of counteract the economic hit that, that everyone's taking
1: yeah I mean it's definitely hit Nevada we've seen the stocks here for for mGM and for the Eldorado and for all, all of the major casinos have been dropping drastically as have all of the stocks across the united States but yeah
2: and that's kind of the, the talk right now, too. It's comparing what, what to do with workers and what to do for companies. And the, the administration has been more interested in helping the business side. And the Congress, the Democrats at least, have been more focused on what to do for workers. And so President Donald Trump has put forth, last night he banned travel from Europe, for example, for 30 days, which is yeah. a, a really big deal. And so we're, they're, they're trying to come up with some kind of halfway point, some kind of happy medium where both republicans and democrats can agree on businesses and what to do for for workers
1: yeah have have you heard much from uh, nevada's senators and representatives
2: they they're splitting on party lines i know that for example representative mark amaday who's the only republican in the delegation he's he's definitely concerned about businesses and and because you know that's without viable businesses workers have no place to work so it's they're definitely part of the equation Whereas I was talking to Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Representative Dean Titus, who are both Democrats, and they said we definitely need to help families before we help businesses. So uh, we're we're going to get some kind of split in the baby package, which is which is uh, typically what they always do try to always split the difference uh, between the two. Where exactly that lands, we don't know, and if it can be done in the next you know 24 hours, we also don't know.
1: Okay. And, and, and so talking about like speaking of workers and stuff, uh, there was a talk of a paid sick leave.
2: That's right. Uh, the, the Democrats have a, a paid sick leave provision in their in their package. And that's become a bit of a sticking point because they want that to be paid for out of entitlement uh, spending, which is basically uh, Social Security funding and Medicare and Medicaid funding which is automatic, right? That's uh, that's set on automatic pilot and, and appropriators don't have to appropriate that every year. That flows without any action from the Congress. Mm-hmm. And so that has been a sticking point with Republicans who are worried that this is just going to create another entitlement program. And it's going to be, you know, there's no price tag on it because it, it, it will pay for whatever's needed for how many people are, apply for it. It will pay for them to, to take paid sick leave. So there's a concern about the cost of that so we're still seeing where they land on that i know that nevada has a new paid sick leave law that they that was passed by the legislature and it went into effect in january where companies with at least 50 employees those workers are allowed to accumulate sick leave over the years over the year up to 40 hours of sick time over one year but there are a lot of businesses who have less than fifty employees in the state and around the country. Actually, there was I think that's the majority of the businesses, and so that's what this package is would be aimed at helping.
1: Okay, and that hasn't passed yet. That's just part of the bill. It
2: is. It is not passed. It. It's part of the package. It's a big. It's a big part of it, and it. You know, that's a. It's a big sticking point at the moment.
1: And, and can you just kind of to take a step back here a little bit? I, I'm kind of curious what the tone is at the Capitol. You know, how how are people reacting? What's 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 kind of how's it feel? It's uh.
2: It's. It's gotten more and more serious earlier uh, in the week. You know, we, we were getting uh, notices that there would be more cleaning. The, the custodial staff would be cleaning the bathroom, cleaning hand railings and that stuff much more. And it got more, more and more serious as more members started to realizing they'd been in contact with people. There's been a lot more tele, telecommuting. Lawmakers have shuttered their offices on some occasions. I know uh, Senator Rick Scott of Florida is, was the latest person to say he's going to self-quarantine. There's about seven or eight or so lawmakers who have done that. So it's gotten much more serious and much more grim. So we're going to, we're going to there's actually a dis- debate going on as to whether that, you know, the Congress should come back after this recess if they do take it. And they, they took a step towards in that, in the direction of not coming back by uh, they're ending tours. Uh, there are no more tours of the capital an essential business is no longer happening in the capital it's symbolically it you know it's bad because you know it's the people's capital it's the people's house and if they can't go to it right it's just a bad symbol and there there's a concern also about not having business in the capital it could tank markets further and it's just uh, sends a bad signal of good panic people could panic markets further so lawmakers have been uh, edging against it but we'll see what happens when they when they either come back from recess or they don't take it at all
1: okay yeah and just kind of moving away from D.C. a little bit, but still kind of related to politics outside of the state. Bernie and Biden have had, you know, they're supposed to have a debate that got moved from Arizona actually to D.C. because of concerns of the coronavirus. But they, they also just kind of uh, they haven't been have, holding a lot of events and stuff. Can you kind of give us kind of an update on that?
2: Yeah. So on Tuesday, there was a, a series of primaries and uh, caucuses that went that happened. and And, and Biden cleaned up Biden won Mississippi, he won Missouri, he won Idaho, and he also won Michigan, which had, I, th- I think, about 68 delegates up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And Bernie Sanders won two states, but this really puts Biden in the poll position. It, it, it's almost his to lose. And so everybody is, is going to be looking at, at how he kind of presents himself at the debate and whether he seeks to, to unify the Democrats or, or whether he continues to try to pound home that he's a better candidate than Bernie. And also, it was interesting today that they both gave speeches about the coronavirus and how they would handle it. And it, neither neither kind of attacked one another. They only went after uh, Trump and the administration and how they're handling it. So that's that's a we'll we'll see if that carries over into the debate, which is going to be on Sunday. It's going to be really interesting watching. All right,
1: cool. Well, Humberto, thank you so much for chatting with me. And uh, make sure to wash your hands and use hand sanitizer when you're out there in the Capitol.
2: Right back at you, man. Thank you.
0: American Indian reservations, the murder, kidnapping, and assault of indigenous women has long been a crisis that's lived largely outside the public eye. Data from the Justice Department show homicide rates for Native American women are 10 times higher than the national average, while numbers from the CDC found murder to be the third leading cause of death among indigenous women between 10 and 24. Ultimately, how representative those numbers are is hard to know because of years of poor record keeping. But now a long-delayed piece of legislation is finally moving through Congress that could increase cooperation between federal law enforcement and tribal leaders on this issue. Shannon Miller is a reporter for the Nevada Independent and she's been following this story. She joins me now. So, Shannon, let's get right into this. The bill in question here is called Savannah's Act. Can you explain why it's called that and a little bit about what it does?
3: Sure. Um, It is really a tragic story to get into, but it is named after a woman. She was 22 years old um, named Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, and she was a member of the Spirit Lake Nation. Um, She was eight months pregnant when she went missing from her home in North Dakota, and searchers found her baby um, had been cut out of her womb and discovered uh, her body A week later in August 2017, Um, one month later in October 2017, North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp introduced Savannah's act in Congress. And just yesterday, Congress passed it. It did take a little while, but um, that's the news.
0: Okay, so as part of this story, you sat down with the U.S. attorney here for the District of Nevada. His name is Nicholas Trutanich. What did he have to say about this issue?
3: U.S. Attorney Trutanich... um, Talked about some of the things the federal government is doing to address this issue. Back in November, President Trump, by executive order, announced a um, committee um, with members of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, which is part of the Department of the Interior, and um, members of the Department of Justice on it. Basically, um, last month, they announced a bunch of listening sessions that are going to be throughout the country um, that that committee will be doing. And in ad- addition to that, um, how this relates to the Nevada U.S. Attorney's Office is they were able to hire a new missing and murdered Indigenous persons coordinator um, back in November, right around the time Trump had announced that that committee Um, The Department of Justice allocated funds to hire 11 of these coordinators throughout the country, and Nevada is one of the U.S. attorney's divisions who was able to hire one of them.
0: So Trutanich mentioned that in the interview, and let's listen to him talk about that now. Murdered women
1: need their killers brought to justice, and and, uh, missing women need to be found. And that's why the Department of Justice in November, in large part because of a groundswell of attention that U.S. attorneys throughout the country uh, gave to this issue— Uh, put its money where its mouth is. And the attorney general, who's been uh, a champion for uh, Native American causes, uh, uh, dedicated 10 missing and murdered indigenous person coordinators to various districts. Nevada's one of those 10 uh, districts to have uh, a coordinator. And that coordinator is going to do a lot of work in the coming months to ensure protocols and guidelines are in place when we're investigating these cases.
0: So part of the problem here is that even when murders are investigated, issues start to crop up when they start pursuing prosecution for offenders. Can you explain that a little more?
3: So data from the U.S. attorney says that of 2,500 resolved investigations um, that the U.S. attorneys declined to prosecute in 2018, 39 percent. Um, were declined. So that means that they weren't prosecuted or they could have been referred to another prosecuting authority aside from the um, U.S. attorneys. Um, But of that 39 percent of those 2,500 cases, 64 percent were declined for insufficient evidence. So when the cases are declined, 64 percent of the time it's because they have insufficient evidence to um, bring a prosecution
0: through. So it's obviously important that the federal government is finally getting on the ball here. But what are the people who are in these communities who are actually affected by this issue seeing and saying?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a couple of the interns that um, are up in Reno went to an event and they got some comments from tribal members up there and it just sounds like there's a big mismatch um some of the tribal members have said it sounds like excuses when they say you know insufficient evidence or there's kind of tangled jurisdictions like between the fbi and the u.s attorneys and the bureau of indian investigations um which can make it difficult to prosecute these cases according to the prosecuting authorities but the tribal members are saying that um that's no excuse you know this is such a widespread issue for that's been ongoing for so many years and um, the outreach and the cooperation with the tribal communities just needs to be better. And in addition to that, um, this is a problem that comes from within their communities and um, kind of a cultural thing of, you know, years and years of kind of tolerating it. Um, that's something that a lot of the tribal members up in Reno um, had mentioned is that it is so widespread um, to have instance of Assault and domestic abuse and sexual abuse, which are connected um, with the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women. And um, overwhelmingly, tribal members are saying that um, victims, um, not just women and girls, but also, you know, boys and men who experience this should speak up.
0: Okay, so we'll have to leave it there. But if you want to read the print story or the digital story, I should say, that'll be up this Sunday on the NevadaIndependent.com. And that's from Shannon here, plus our colleagues, our interns, Tabitha Mueller and Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez. Shannon, thanks so much for joining me.
3: Thanks, Jacob.
1: Alright, so we are at the last segment of the podcast and we've had uh, quite a long week with all of the uh, unfortunate coronavirus news we've been reporting on, but uh, the one good piece of news that came out of this week was that the Bachelor finale happened, which means that I don't have to hear about The Bachelor anymore, <laughs> <laughs> but you guys also really enjoy The Bachelors. So I guess I should well, say who's here, right? Megan of, uh, and yeah, Michelle yeah. and Riley. Yes.
4: First of all, I'll say it was really nice to have two nights of The Bachelor this week. It was just a very rough news week and we got... Four hours of content, um, endless memories, so it was a great week.
1: Two episodes were two hours? Yeah. Oops.
5: Why wouldn't you want that, Joey?
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so the one thing that I got from uh, from The Bachelor this week was hashtag Team Barb, which I saw on Twitter, And uh, just out of sheer luck and social deduction, I guess I figured out that uh, there was no way that a contestant on The Bachelor would be named Barb. So Barb had to be the mom of The Bachelor. And I feel like the mother of The Bachelor would not approve of the show. Uh, So hashtag Team Barb is people that don't approve of the show. So I am hashtag Team Barb.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So I think I've heard Riley has some strong thoughts about Barb. So I feel like Riley should explain barb and uh this cult of barb around her
6: yeah well i think it it will help our listeners who may not watch the bachelor to kind of know what happened during the finale so uh the bachelor peter weber was in australia with uh the two final contestants madison and hannah ann and essentially uh madison ended up leaving him but he didn't tell hannah ann and then they got engaged and then they broke up about a month later for some reason and then they had a live reunion and then Madison came back and they were going to try and start things over again. But Barb, Peter's mom was there, didn't like Madison and they kind of got into it. But I am of the opinion that Barb did nothing wrong. I think Peter is just constantly making mistakes. He's sort of like ruined this whole season. Didn't make any good uh, choices. Did you use probably the right words in that situation? No, but like, she's right that it's not going to work out between them. So she got a lot of like grief on social media and I was telling uh, you know, friends, acquaintances, former fraternity brothers that also watched the bachelor that, you know, Barb did nothing wrong. She's totally in the right. I don't understand why everyone's mad at her.
5: Yeah. I think that I was going to say, I think the important thing to note too is like Barb was very emotionally invested in this, right? She, she, we, we see in one episode, she meets, Uh, She meets Hannah Ann. she falls in love with Hannah Ann. she decides she loves her. She's so sweet. Madison comes in. We found out in the finale that she actually waited. They waited three hours for for Peter and Madison to come in. And we we saw she just like wasn't, you know, as engaged. She was kind of distant, which made sense. Things were pretty tense with Madison and Peter at the moment. And then we see this emotional scene in which which Barb says, you know, she, that, that Peter has to go after uh, Hannah Ann and she's just crying. And we, we, we saw her breakdown down at multiple points <laughs> over uh, her, her emotional investment in, into Peter's decision. Uh, but I mean, but like Riley was touching on, she, you know, went in on her son in this, you know, live national finale. You know, it's a, a mother publicly chastising her son. So I think a lot of people weren't expecting.
4: Megan, I'm curious what you think about Peter as a bachelor. Like Riley believes he made a lot of mistakes throughout the bachelor. And I'm curious if you agree.
5: I, I agree. I, I think he was too wishy-washy. I think he didn't know what he was doing for far too long for me Peter started off, you know, like pretty, pretty high up. He was, you know, I think we all watched uh, Hannah B's or started to watch Hannah B's season, which was the previous season, The Bachelorette that he was on. And I think we all liked him, right? He was this pilot. He was kind of charming. So for me, he started off this, this season on a high note, but honestly, from the first night down, it just was like going down, down, down for me. He, I mean, from the first night, he's like making out with every single girl. He like, can't figure out what he wants to do. He can't decide. Um, so I think yeah I think he made some mistakes there, and I think I think that ended up you know coming around to bite him in the end.
4: Yeah, he's definitely like didn't take control of the situation, way not decisive enough, and mm-hmm. ended up kind of leading people on or just hurting people right. in the process, kind of irrevocably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really bummed out though that here's the second season in a row where we get this show comes to a conclusion and our protagonist is single was,
5: do you think- peter, was peter our protagonist though <laughs> or <was> <laughs> <him>? <laughs> they're,
1: they're all antagonists in this situation i, I, I think
5: don't, i don't know who the protagonist was i
1: think they're all <laughs> victims to the the to the <laughs> the zeitgeist that is
6: bachelor <laughs> the bachelor complex
1: it's like a it's like watching mm-hmm. a unethical what do you call like a sociology like experiment <laughs> happen on live tv
4: yeah i think um I don't know what the future is for The, the Bachelor. I, th- I think, um, I kind of think like Hannah Brown and Peter need to get together after two unsuccessful seasons.
5: Well, the thing too that I don't think we found out until the end was, um, you know, his family was talking about Peter kind of being this party boy, likes going to the clubs. I don't think we really had a good sense of that. At least I didn't through both The Bachelorette season and this season. We don't really get a sense of that. Um, you know, and she's, yeah, she's very much like, you know, family girl. She's, you know, uh, religion's very important to her. Someone who's God fearing is very important to her. And Peter describes himself as a little bit more spiritual. And so it just, they don't totally mesh on that front either. So it's hard to see, it's hard to see it working out in the long term. And I think even we got a sense of that in the finale, right? It wasn't, you know, all all roses and sunshine. They're sitting there together and obviously they have feelings for each other, but it wasn't, you know, we're marching off into this bright future together.
6: Yeah, like Chris Harrison, the host, was like, "So you love Madison, Peter? Yeah, Madison, you yeah. love it just." And he was like, kind of trying to get something to happen, and nothing really happened. So we just gonna end it on kind of a, a yeah. weird note.
5: Well, I think, and I don't know what they were expecting because they were saying, you know, not even Peter knows how it's going to end. I don't know if they thought he was gonna propose to her or ask her to be his girlfriend, or but there was nothing. There was nothing like that. It was just them sitting together, being like yeah i i love him i love her and okay the end (laughs) and then just
1: like just like in game of thrones they didn't really think of an ending to write for this one yeah
6: (laughs) joey game of thrones is a show for children let's not talk about that we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) oh okay
1: All right, well that was it for the Bachelor Indie Matters segment. Hopefully it is the the last one (laughs) we
6: have to do. (laughs) We'll see you back here in April when we talk about the premiere of the Bachelorette. Excited to have everyone back here again.
5: Listen to your heart. What? I I might I might (laughs) watch. I might Is listen to is Listen
1: to Your Heart another reality
5: show? It's It's presented by The Bachelor. the bachelor franchise
1: look 90 day fiance is the only
5: hold on we should leave we should leave our listeners with this listen to your heart put (laughs) on by bachelor nation it is essentially american idol plus the bachelor all in one
1: well on that note (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of indie matters the podcast about nevada politics policy and more
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank U.S. District Attorney Nicholas Trutanich for being on this week, as well as reporters Humberto Sanchez, Shannon Miller, and the rest of our Bachelor-loving crew.
1: If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so by searching for Indie Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen.
0: And if you have comments, criticism, praise, or Bachelor hot takes, you can email me at jacob at thenvindie.com or joey at joey at nvnd.com. And if you want to sponsor the podcast or an indie event, email editors at theenvyindy.com.
1: People with Bodies does our theme music, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, here with reporter and producer Jacob Solis, and we'll talk to you next week.